This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. For the battle is the Lord's, and He will give it into our hands. Do you realize that the battles that you face in your life, they're really the Lord's battles? The Lord is intimately aware of every battle that you're involved in. And He desires for you to seek His answer and His direction in the midst of all of this. There's battles that go on in each one of our lives. We'd be fools to walk into a battle unarmed, wouldn't we? We would never go to the front line without some sort of armor or weapon. Well, we are in a battle, though our battle is not of this world. It's a spiritual battle of principalities and powers. It's against the devil who has a well-laid-out plan against us. He is skilled in cunning and deceit, trying to slander the name of the Lord. This is why we need the full armor of God. It's God's battle, and He will have the victory. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 10, for the conclusion of our message entitled, Man Your Battle Stations not by my might, it's not by my power, but it's by His Spirit. And we need to understand that, balancing out the responsibility of our actions, but also the inworking work of God in that spiritual growth. King David, he was a veteran warrior long before he became king of Israel. We read where he acknowledges that the source of his strength it comes from the Lord. We read it all throughout Psalms as he declares these things. Here's a man, again, that's speaking by experience. He's speaking about the reality of his own faith as he writes in the book of Psalms, chapter 18, verse 1 and 2. He says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. Then David, among all men, knew the responsibility of actions and he knew the reality of consequences of the wrong actions. But David knew where his strength came from. Unless you know the situation that David was in when he penned those words there in Psalm 18, they, they may or may not move you as what he's speaking about, the Lord being his fortress, his deliverer, his strength, and his trust. You see, at this point in time, David was on the run from Saul, his father-in-law, who had sought to kill him multiple times already, and now he was chasing him all throughout Israel. So let me ask you, how's the relationship with your in-laws doing? David was under a real threat of, of real death. His enemy on the flesh was Saul. The, the weaponry of Saul was that spear that he had already thrown at David. But there was also a spiritual battle that was going on too. And David knew that in the midst of that physical battle, there was a much greater spiritual battle that was taking place. Later on, when David became the king, he still had troubles. He still had attacks from the enemy, even from his own family. But when his enemies pursued him, that's when David would write these words like we find in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? 
because David's trust, his hope, his assurance was in the Lord. Generations later, Habakkuk, a, a prophet of the Old Testament, he understood that in the midst of the battle, the only way he was going to be able to stand was to stand in the strength of the Lord. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19, we read that the Lord God is my strength, and he's made my feet like hinds feet and makes me to walk in my high places. Hinds feet. That's the uh, hind is a like a mountain deer, and those mountain deer they were literally through experience, through birth, they were designed, they were purposed to be able to walk in those steep mountain slopes there around Israel. And when he says, "The Lord has made my feet like those hinds' feet, like those deer feet that are able to stand on unfirm ground, but still be able to stand firm in the midst of that," that's what he speaks about about God being His strength, and He allows me to walk in these high places. So now, the same thought, the same kind of an idea, Paul here in Ephesians. Paul, a man that's experienced with a full life of spiritual battles and physical attacks at the same time. He's warning you and I and the church of Ephesus to remain focused, not in our own abilities, not in our own strength, but on the Lord's strength and on the Lord's power. He says in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's the way he encourages them to be able to do that is to put on all of their battle gear. You're not going to be able to fight this battle unless you have your combat gear on. And he tells them there in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Do you think that Paul is just writing poetically here? No. He's writing in reality here. He says there is a spiritual force that is out and about that is working against us. And Paul is trying to make that perfectly clear to the believers as he's writing. That's why he says in 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. In other words, having done all to be able to man your battle stations. When we recall again the story of David, remember as he stood before Goliath, that Philistine giant, we're reminded that the, the, the world's logic is to be armed with the world's armor. But in spiritual battles, that just doesn't work that way. Saul was absolutely right during that time, when he said to David that David was physically incapable to be able to go up against such a fierce warrior as Goliath. After all, Goliath was an experienced warrior, over nine feet tall, just a huge giant of a man. David, in the descriptions that we have of him, was again a smaller, ruddy looking. He was a young shepherd boy, not experienced in this type of warfare. Saul, always looking for the physical answer, always thinking in the physical realm. He tried to assist David by physical means. He tried to give his own armor to David to be able to wear in the midst of the battle. And I'm kind of curious on that. If that armor didn't help Saul in the battle, why did he think that it would help David in the battle? 
Saul didn't realize David was already armed. He was already covered by the armor of God in his life. It wasn't an armor that was made of steel or, or bronze or, or chain mail. David was wearing the armor of God. And so as David went up against Goliath, armed only with his slingshot, and yet he's covered with the armor of God, there was this boldness, there was this faith in his life that none of those other Israelite warriors had in their life. Remember, for a while now, for a season now, Goliath had been going out to the valley and crying up on the hillsides where the army of Israel is, come on, bring on your best guy. I'll take him on. Just, just bring him on. And not an Israelite would move until finally Saul was saying, hey, if somebody will do this, uh, we'll give them a lot of money. As a matter of fact, we'll give them a lot of money. They don't have to pay taxes anymore, and they can have my daughter for their bride. And still nobody went out. And when David came to this place, do you think that it was the attraction of the finances or the attraction of the king's daughter that caused him to enter into that fight? Not at all. I believe that what caused David to enter that fight is that the name of his God was being slandered. And because he was a man of God, as young a man as he was, covered in the armor of God, he couldn't stay and stand and be silent. He was moved to action. So he experienced a victory that none of the other Israelites could experience. He understood that no matter how big the giant was in his life, that in reality it was a spiritual battle that he had to deal with. And as he charged toward that giant foe, David testified to the greatness of God in his life. He yelled out to Goliath as he charged before him with that sling twirling around, ready to propel that rock into the forehead of Goliath. He yells out at Goliath, who's already laughing and saying, what are you, sending out a dog after me? Thinking that there's absolutely no force that could come against him. He's thinking still also in the physical realm. But David comes toward him, declaring that the Lord does not save by sword and shield and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it into our hands. Do you realize that the battles that you face in your life, they're really the Lord's battles? And the Lord is intimately aware of every battle that you're involved in. And he desires for you to seek his answer and his direction in the midst of all of this. There's battles that go on in each one of our lives. The battlefield that you're fighting today may be different than the battlefield that I'm fighting today. The current attack Again, maybe more or less intense for you than it is for your brother or your sister that's sitting before you or behind you. The battle that we're involved in might even change completely tomorrow from what it is today. We think we finally get a handle on it and suddenly the enemy changes his, his attack. But despite the time, the place, or the intensity, we need to know that we are all involved in a battle. And, beloved, we need to be prepared. It is the fool, as a Christian, who does not continually keep himself prepared for the battle that is always there. The most important place of preparation is in the Spirit. We need to be prepared to stand against what Paul says is, 
the wiles of the devil. And that word wiles, I know that's nothing that we um, use in regular conversation today, but it comes from a Greek word, methodias. We can get the word, the English word method out of it, the methods of the devil. It's that traced out pattern or purpose. It's that that which is well laid out through skill and, and cunning, that that's a practice of deceit. That's what that word means, and that's what the enemy brings against you and I. The idea is the use of cunning methods and a, a means in, in an attempt to deceive or destroy us. And Satan's good at what he does. After all, he's been doing it for millennia. He's very practiced in it, but yet we also understand as we read the word that you know, there are particular areas that we know he will try and get us in. Oh, he may use a, a number of routes to get there. But still, his purpose is the same. As Jesus says, to kill, to steal, or to destroy. It's always easier for us to face the enemy on an open battlefield. In an open battlefield, we can see the size of the enemy. We can see the armament of the enemy. But our enemy doesn't come at us that way. He comes at us in this guerrilla warfare. And that kind of an attack, he comes from out of nowhere. He doesn't allow us to prepare at that moment. You better be prepared beforehand. He doesn't allow us to form a strategy or an offense or even a defense at that point in time. It's too late at that point. We're already under attack if we don't have those things in place. It's this kind of warfare that you can't really tell how big the enemy is, where he's coming from, or what he's bringing with him until it's suddenly on top of you. That's why we need to be prepared. That's why we need to be fully dressed in our battle gear. The armor of God, armed with the weapons of our warfare. A.T. Barnes, a Bible scholar from years ago, he writes this in reference to this battle that we're in. He says, the idea here is that Satan does not carry on open warfare. He does not meet the soldier face to face he advances covertly, he makes his approaches in darkness, employs cunning rather than power, and seeks rather to deceive and betray than to vanquish by mere force. Hence the necessity of being constantly armed to meet him whenever the attack is made. A man has to contend with a visible enemy. He may feel safe if he only prepares to meet him in the open field. But far different is the case if the enemy is invisible, if he steals upon us slyly and stealthily, if he practices war only by ambushes, by surprises. Well, such is the foe that we have to contend with. And almost all the Christian struggle is a warfare against the stratagems and the wiles of Satan. Satan does not openly appear. He approaches us not in repulsive forms, but more often than not, he comes to recommend some plausible doctrine. It's interesting that nearly all of the cults have some form of truth. And yet there's a perversion of that truth. Barnes continues on that he comes to lay before us some temptation that wouldn't immediately repel us. He presents the world in an alluring aspect. He invites us to pleasures that seem to be harmless. And yet they lead us into indulgence until we've gone so far that we can't retreat. 
gone so far that we can't retreat. Kent Hughes, a pastor of today, he writes very similarly. He says, seldom does Satan ever attack openly. His strategies, as ministered by his demons, are always unseen. They're shrewd, and they're perfectly tailored for the victim. What a terrible foe we face. He is immensely powerful, imitating God's power and presence with his demonic host. He's evil beyond our comprehension and without conscience and or principle. He is diabolically cunning and he is after us. Beloved, he is after us. Paul tells us here in Ephesians, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle, and we're battling against principalities and against powers, against those rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, I know that some look at this and they say that from this we can understand that the spiritual realm and the spiritual attacks, that there's a hierarchy, there's a a ranking in the demonic forces, and I don't have any problem with that. As a matter of fact, we see that in the rest of God's order, that there is order, that there is stratagem in all of it. Those angels that fell, those that are under Satan's control, they would most likely seek to have places of priority among each other. And the demonic hordes that are attacking even now, they need to be under some kind of control or direction, even in the midst of all of their wickedness. And it also fits into, again, the narrative that we see back in the book of Daniel. As Daniel had prayed, and again, the the answer had been delayed for a while. When the angel messenger finally reached Daniel, these are the words that he spoke to him. He said to him, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But... The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. There was a spiritual battle that was going on that even this angel of the Lord was tied up in and could not leave. There was a time factor of that battle, and he was tied up with that other battle until Michael, an archangel of the Lord, came to relieve him in that place so that he could come and assist Daniel at that point in time. Beloved, these aren't just Kitty's Bible stories. This is the reality of spiritual warfare that's taking place, even as you and I sit here this morning. There are principalities and powers. There are rulers and there are spiritual hosts of wickedness. But yet, even at that, you need to remember also 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and you've overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Is it something to cause us fear? No. Is it something that should cause us to be at attention and to be understanding? Absolutely. We ought to be aware. We ought to be understanding that, man, there is a spiritual battle that's being fought. I'm always looking at the physical. Why don't I see the spiritual? Maybe because that's where your mind is always in the physical. Rather than being spiritually minded so that you could understand where the spiritual battle is going on, you're being hit left and right spiritually, and you don't even know it. Understand, the enemy will come in with deceit. 
He'll come in ways that you don't see him. And he'll do everything that he can to destroy you. But Satan is a defeated foe. Our Jesus defeated him at the cross. You need to recall the fact that there's also a limit to the power of these principalities and powers. Romans 8, verse 38 and 39, Paul declares, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, there's a limitation to what they can do. We need to remember, too, that Jesus is head over all principalities and powers, and his dominion is over them all. He disarmed them at the cross. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 9, 10, and 15, we read, For in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. Down in verse 15, he says, Jesus, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Yes, Jesus won the war, but the battle rages on. There's still battles that are going on. There will be that time when all the demonic forces of hell are going to meet their final end. They're going to be cast into that lake of fire with Satan himself. But until that time, the battle rages on. Man, your battle stations. Continually be prepared, donning the armor of God in your life. It was in the early 1500s when Martin Luther wrote the words of what many consider to be the greatest hymn. Of all the ages. The title of it was A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I think of that hymn even in looking at this passage in Ephesians here because it's a hymn dealing with warfare. Luther wrote, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. What does that mean? He's, he's, a, he's a strong castle, and that bulwark is the outer walls, usually a double wall, preventing penetration. A mighty fortress is our God. A defensive wall that never fails. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, His name. From age to age, the same. And He must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, We will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. What is that one little word? Jesus. The understanding that we are strong in the Lord. We need to move in the strength of the Lord. We need to move 
in the power of His might. This is not a drill. This is real and true warfare. Put on your battle gear, that whole armor of God, in order that you might be able to man your battle stations, standing against the wiles of the devil. It seems that more and more people are getting caught up in a works-based expression of their faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is the book Pastor David is currently teaching through, Ephesians. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter, The Open Word Radio, or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on The Open Word.